Hello and welcome to the Blood and Hunter podcast brought to you by NTES. Uh, we are right in the teeth of the deciding game of Pool B. Um, the longer the week has gone on, the more I've been convinced that, um, well, I started the week off incredibly confident that Ireland were going to win, that we were going to hockey Scotland uh, and just nail down qualification. Um for the quarterfinal against who we, who we now know will be the All Blacks um, without so much fuss as you might think sorry I'm just trying to close the door here but there's a bag in the way fair enough that took me way too long to do um, so as the week has gone on though I've just started thinking more and more about all the little things that might happen and that might pop up to make things very difficult for Ireland in this game um, because I think if you look at the way that uh, Ireland and Scotland have had their results flow over the last couple of of, of years, I would say, um, it's far from straightforward. Ireland have won all of them, but I'm not sure all of them have been as straightforward and maybe as inevitable as they might seem in the aftermath. So, like, just to give you a quick rundown, the last time that Scotland beat Ireland was in Murrayfield in 2017 and um, the Ireland team that they played that day had um, Jamie Heaslip on it Simon Zebo. Um there was a couple of other fellas there playing who are just no longer involved at at, uh, at test level um, you know, Rob Carney's retired <laughs> Gary Ringrose is still around um, you have Jack McGrath's retired Rory Best is retired Devin Toner's retired TJ Sanders retired Sean O'Brien is retired Jamie Heaslip is retired so look we're, we're, we're talking about um, a time when I mean again it's a different era okay and the last time before that was back in 2013 uh, in Murrayfield now again almost everybody involved that day has retired so it's been a kind of an entire era of rugby since Scotland have beaten Ireland but there's so many of these results like that when you just look at them naturally they're just going okay look that was a handy Ireland win that was a handy Ireland win but some of them were far from that I mean you go back to the Aviva Stadium in 2020 that game finished 1912 but that was a very close run game for a lot of the um, for a lot of the time you look at um, the Aviva Stadium um, we played them during the Autumn Nations Cup this was during Covid that finished 31-16 but there was times there in that game where Scotland looked really dangerous again in the Six Nations uh, later on in uh, March of that season that finished 24-27 to Ireland and Scotland were right in like Scotland should have won that game now since then like Ireland have beaten them fairly handily and routinely that I suppose the biggest one would have been last summer or last Six Nations win Ireland um, should have lost really when you look at the injuries and you look at the disruption that was there but Scotland somehow couldn't find a way to to pull a win out of a game where they were actually leading for a time um, but just couldn't think their way around the problem and I think that that is just the on-field stuff that describes how Ireland have been really the dominant partner in this relationship since I mean, for the last 10 years, we'll say easily. I mean, you go back to the last World Cup, we pretty much eliminated them from the World Cup um, in the first game of, the, of that tournament. Like, they were under pressure for the rest of the tournament as a result. Um, and yeah, I suppose looking at the on-field stuff, you could just say, okay, look, Ireland have been fairly dominant. That, that That's not really even half the story. When you look at this 
relationship between these two teams and not just necessarily the, the two teams but the two rugby bubbles um, there's a lot of heat there and it's different types of heat between Ireland and Scotland than what it is between Scotland and Ireland um, Scotland just from just experiencing, experiencing the last week just seemed to really hate Ireland's guts not the same level as England that's a different kettle of fish altogether but there just seems to be like we're just sick of losing to these guys and you can see some of that coming through on their um, some, some of the players press um, that they've been doing this week and I mean rightly so I mean you just look at like the results since 2017 like even just go back to 2017 which seems like almost like a decade ago but it's not, not too far away from that either like they have lost since that game one two three four five six seven eight games in a row they've lost that's a sickener and it's just like if it was us in that in that place we'd hate them too and i think from 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 ireland's perspective not not, not even speaking about the teams which are a different thing again but just from a rugby bubble perspective i think the irish rugby bubble can be a little bit hubristic we can be a little bit up our own holes at times and i mean to an extent rightly so you look at the way that we've gone from the year 2000 up until to where we are now number one in the world you know we've we've you know been something that they've never been in the last couple of years they haven't won a six nations since it was the six nations as far as i'm aware so like the the, the trajectories between the scotland i would have known maybe in the 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 80s we'll say um and the scotland that we see now or that we have seen maybe over the last 20 years the trajectories have been in complete opposite directions as Ireland have gotten better and better. Scotland have, you know, collected a few wooden spoons. They've had a few of those results where you're thinking, and like they were picking up wooden spoons relatively recently um, within the last 10 years. So like that's the sort of, of, of trajectory that would generate a bit of resentment. But on our end, when we see some of the stuff, even just this, this like the, the past week I've seen, it's almost like, who are you talking to? Do you know, like, it's almost like we are concerning ourselves with the likes of France and South Africa and um, the All Blacks and, and and that level. So to see Scotland, I think who we almost kind of look down on. And again, you don't even need to look too, to look too far to see that. I mean, some of the way that's like that, that Scotland has been spoken about on Irish TV and the coverage of the Six Nations, for example, is like dismissive would be a kind way to describe it. Um, and I, I think it's just in the modern era of social media everybody gets to see what everybody else thinks of everybody else okay so in this instance they see like the irish media bubble being really arrogant towards scotland really dismissive but to make it worse they've never once been able to give ireland a black eye to go do you know what stop talking shit and that's only just fueled it more. And that's before we even get into the the niggle that's kind of started between, I think, Leinster and Glasgow initially, then Leinster and Munster, then Leinster and, uh, uh, Leinster and uh, uh, Munster and Glasgow, then Connacht and Glasgow, and sure, even Ulster and Glasgow and Ulster and Edinburgh have had a few dust-ups as well where it's been, there's been real needle between both teams. And, you know, you throw in Gregor Townsend, some of the history he has with Munster, 
the history that Glasgow, while he was in charge of them, had with Leinster, then with Munster over that 2016-2017 uh, season when we played them four times and beat them four times. But those games were incredibly bad-tempered. There was rumour, you know, not, not even rumours, there was allegations that, you know, Gregor Townsend was sending out players to deliberately injure Conor Murray to get him off the field. And that kind of stuff, it just breeds resentment. And that's kind of where we are coming into this game, where either way, unless it's a creditable draw, somebody's going to be coming out of this game miserable. And for Ireland's sake, we just hope it's not us. Um, For Scotland, they're out there basically looking to give us the black eye that they feel that we've been due for coming up on nearly 10 years now. And for us, the idea of losing to this Scotland team who... Again, look, elements of our media bubble have been clowning on for, geez, at least the last three or four years, maybe longer. It just, it's its too much crow to eat in one setting. You've got you've to gotta pack up some of that crow and maybe have it in bits and pieces during the week as leftovers. Maybe make a crow pasta bake. But that's where we are. And that's kind of where this game is coming from. And it makes it a spicy one. And it makes it one where... I think, for me anyway, there's a lot more nerves on the line this week than what there would have been for the South Africa game. Because I think if you lose that game against the Springboks, yeah, look, there's a lot of there's there's a lot of talking shit online, but it's not the same. It's not the same. Um, it's not the same feeling. And I think it comes back to like I understand how Scotland would feel here because I think as as a, as a Munster fan, first we've seen you know over the years like how many times we lost to Leinster and just how badly you want to beat them. And when you eventually do, and they will eventually, it's a massive release of energy and bitterness. And that's kind of where we're at. Someone could be going home tonight. More than likely it's Scotland, but it could be Ireland. That's the way the the the, the, the calculations are, are, are going, where there is a scenario tonight where if we lose this game by maybe eight or nine points without scoring a bonus point, and either the day, um, we could be going home. And like that's that's the not not scary, but that's kind of how this pool has come down to. It's very very tight. So let's have a look at the teams, and let's have a look at what we'll be facing this weekend um, or this evening, actually, because I'm recording this on Saturday morning. Um, in the back three, Blair Kinghorn, Darcy Graham, and Duhan van der Merwe. Uh, it's a really good back three for Scotland. You look at the the athleticism there, the try scoring ability, the power the ability on transition, the kicking game of Blair Kinghorn I think is really good as well. Um, it's really dangerous. And when they like they tie into their midfield of Hugh Jones and Sione Tuopalato, that's one of the best outside back lines I think in the world at the moment. They've got power, they've got really good cohesion with each other, um, they've got um, speed to beat the band. Um, and when you combine that with Finn Russell and Ali Price, if they click they will score tries and they can score tries from range. So that is um, a, a, like a, a real possibility. And that's something I think that um, Ireland will be 100% aware of. South Africa managed to mitigate that to a certain extent where Scotland or South Africa kicked the ball a little bit more than what they have been. But they were able to do it in such a way where Scotland were never able to get full separation away from the blitz. So they were again always struggling to get that space that they need to really hurt you so I mean again partly I'm surprised well you know I'm not not surprised I think this Irish team would be confident of beating whatever Scotland put in front of them regardless of what Scotland have been doing or not doing and uh, that's that's confidence for you 
Um, in the pack, they've got Pierre Schumann, George Turner and Xander Fagerson in the front row, Richie Gray and Grant Gilchrist in second row, with a back row of small forward central Jamie Ritchie, Rory Darge and Jack Dempsey. Um, that's a lot of pace, that's a lot of power, that's a lot of uh, work on transition offensively and defensively in that back row in particular. Their second row, mobility issues I think, that kind of to an extent undermines their counter transition slash off ball game which I'll get to in a minute um, but again I think Ireland can 100% get at them in the line out in the same way that they'll feel that they can get at Ireland and that front row uh, Xander Fagerson decent ball carrier good scrummager better scrummager I think he's given credit for but I think that Andrew Porter will be relatively confident that he can handle him and Pierre Schumann I think is the standout front five forward in that pack really dangerous scrummager um, a powerful fella around the field as well if he starts getting any sort of momentum in the scrum, he can cause a whole world of trouble for Tyg Furlong. So that's going to be something that Ireland are going to have to manage as they go through. On the bench, they have Ewan Ashman, Rory Sutherland, WP Nell, Scott Cummings, Matt Fagerson, Luke Crosby, George Horn and Ollie Smith. No Ben Healy on the bench for this one, which again, I was a little surprised by um, just because of his ability as a goal kicker off the bench if they need it. But um, yeah, they haven't gone with that. They've gone with a 6-2 split, which I think is reflective of how they're going to approach it to a certain extent. Ireland's team back three again look it's almost kind of pointless naming this team out you know the team for this more or less right in the back three Hugo Keenan Mac Hansen James Lowe Gary Ringrose and Bundy Aki in midfield Johnny Sexton Jamison Gibson Park at halfback uh, on the front row Andrew Porter Dan Sheehan comes back in after his um uh, appearance off the bench against South Africa and Tyg Furlong with Tyg Byrne and Ian Henderson in the second row Peter Romani Josh van der Fleer and Kellen Doris make up the back row as usual on the bench Ronan Kelleher Dave Kilcoyne Finley Beelham James Ryan Jack Conan who returns from injury to go onto the bench here Connor Murray Jack Crowley and Stuart McCluskey who comes in for the injured Robbie Hinshaw so most of that team there is as you'd expect I suppose the big headline is Ian Henderson starting uh, James Ryan on the bench um, like some of the conversations have been around James Ryan being dropped I don't think he's been dropped so much as he's just they've, they've changed his role for this game but when it's James Ryan is the guy with his role getting changed that's the I mean because for me being dropped is out of the squad right like being dropped is sitting in the stands for this game if you had been playing the entire time um, and for James Ryan Part of it could be that he hasn't trained fully. He's had a bit of a, a, a an, inju- an issue with his wrist or his, or his hand. Um, that has prevented him from training fully. So that could be it. He could be on the bench for those reasons. Um, but, I mean, is it performance? Again, look, it's hard for me to say because obviously I'm not the fellow making these decisions or am I party to what they're thinking is. But just looking from the outside in, James Ryan for me has been up and down for a lot of this last, we'll say, two-year span where his performances have gone from quite good to quite d- disappointing and below par. Like, he's never awful. Like, he's never... Like, I mean, you could, you could look at his last game against South Africa as being really poor by his own standards. Like, But, again, he's rarely desperately poor. Like, his handling is usually good. He rarely makes the sort of visible mistakes that gets people groaning about the, you know, get that fucking guy off. I think at this stage in his career, James Ryan defensively is probably one of the best defensive second rows in the game, both in phase play and at the set piece, where he gets more than his fair share of lineout steals. Again, he's got a big wingspan, and his ability to read the opposition's defensive lineout is actually very, very good. But I found in the last two years that his the offensive side of the ball 
uh, from James Ryan has really degraded where his impact ball carrying is not really what it should be um, Ireland used the second rows for ball carrying quite a bit that's tilted a little bit in the last while but you would still expect James Ryan to be getting on the ball quite a bit in this Irish system um, against South Africa which again there's no shame in it necessarily because it's South Africa and they're all massive but he got pieced up in contact against South Africa but even then um, his work during the year in the Six Nations has not been great like his offensive breakdown has been very erratic for a long time um, in the last couple of games that I've been tracking his offensive uh, ruck work output where there, and I, I included this in the Wally ratings this week now or the, in the, the, the green eye now I typically that's an article on its own in the 10 euro tier but the reason why I wanted to include it here is that Ireland's breakdown is going to be hugely important against Scotland who will feel that with Nick Barry refereeing that they will be able to get a bit of purchase on Ireland's uh, offensive breakdown both to slow it down and win clean penalties or clean turnovers if they need to Um, as a result Ireland's breakdown accuracy is hugely important now I had no idea that James Ryan was going to be on the bench for this one I just presumed he would be starting but during the week, as I was putting together the um, the the offensive ruck work article, and I was assessing the breakdown work uh, that Ireland did against South Africa, you just start to see, like, there's an ineffective entry, there's an ineffective entry from James Ryan again, again, and more of it. Now, he didn't play great from that perspective in the previous games either, but against South Africa, I expected him to be a little bit more accurate. He had a lot of entries, and... Like for him to have, I think, what, 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 what was it? I think it was 12 entries he had during the game. Five of those were ineffective. That's a ridiculously poor number. And it dragged him down to a score of five. Because again, I weight the things that you do in the ruck. A lot of places, they just count who was first at the ruck. And who, was there somebody, did they clean out? Well, they certainly made an entry to the ruck, yes. But for me, that only tells not even half the story not even a tenth of the story what did you do when you got there there's plenty of times where James Ryan is the first guy at the breakdown but he misses the clean or he doesn't take the threat away and the the second arriving clean out guy is the fellow who actually did the job and that's been present with, with James Ryan in for a while where it feels that the accuracy and efficiency of his breakdown work has almost taken a back seat to him being very aggressive and trying to dominate and uh, impose himself, we'll say, on the breakdown, dropping duds on guys and stuff like that. But his ability to actually just, you know, protect the ball and produce the ball is very up and down. And at times in that South Africa game, I'm looking at some of his entries and I'm going, that's a, like, that rock has been won. You don't need to step in there. You don't need to go off your feet there and take yourself out of the next phase. But he did it over and over again. And it's that, that like, that's what would rate me, like, I would rate him down off the back of that, right? Now, you could say, well, look, if his main role is set piece and ball carrying, then that's not a, you know, then his rock isn't that big a deal. And I would agree with you. Like, I don't think that there's a second draw these days who can do absolutely everything. I think the game is too physically demanding now for you to be a guy who is racking up 50, 60 offensive rock work points while also carrying the ball 10 or 15 times and while also making 10 or 15 tackles and also, you know, counter jumping and taking four or five lineouts. I don't think the, 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 there isn't a lock in the game who's doing that, right? 
So when I look at, at James Ryan and I go, okay, look, maybe his ruck work isn't massively important. It doesn't really need to be with Josh Van Der Fleer, Caelan Doris, Peter Manny, Tyg Byrne, Andrew Porter, Tyg Farlong. These are all guys who are massively accurate and physical there. We don't need James Ryan to be that guy. And I would say fair enough. In that case, then you're looking for him to be really, really imposing with the ball in hand. Uh, we know he's very, like he's very imposing defensively. Defensively, I have no issue with him. His he, he creates dominant tackles. Um, he's a guy who just will rack up big numbers. He's aggressive, technically quite good as well. Defensive side of the ball, no issue. But again, I don't think with a guy of his status, he just wants to be a sort of a lockdown defender. That's not really what I feel. Ireland want from him or what he wants from himself like we don't see him in that way so you have to judge the other side of the ball also so when I'm looking at that that's what I'm seeing and I think that you know him being on the bench here I think it's honestly I think it's more to do with him not um, training fully with his hand issue but at the same time it's a big opportunity for Ian Henderson who I mean hasn't been blowing the barn door the barn doors off either in my opinion but it's a, it's a, it's an opportunity for him to start imposing himself on this world cup and he gets an opportunity here as a start now the big factor that I've spoken about is the um the lineout and how it's going to be important in this game uh in 2023 uh, Scotland the biggest area where they leak tries is off the lineout both from the you know we'll say a one or a two phase strike off the lineout or directly from the mall so that's obviously an area that Ireland need to be sharp on and again I, I looked last week at, at Ireland's lineout calling and in the first half and for parts of the second half it just was not what it needed to be and lineout calling can be a little bit of a like a nebulous skill to speak about because it's not really known too much about and it's not spoken about in the same depth we'll say that you might be looking at you know a, a pod framework or stuff like that you can look at that and you can assess it whereas a lineout call is a decision and a decision is made by the lineout caller as they walk up to the line as they assess what the opposition defense is doing typically you will have a call that has a couple of alternates so you will often see james ryan walking up and against south africa in particular You'll see him walking up. They will at that stage. Everybody will know what the the call is, or we'll say the scheme that the lineout is, and maybe we'll we'll just call the scheme. I'm just looking at what I'm wearing right now. Orange Levi, right? That's the name of this lineout call. Now, when we know that Orange Levi has two, maybe or, or three alternates, right? And everybody knows what their movements are in that alternate. So, we'll say there's option one, option two. Option one, we'll say, is where um, the guy who calls one, he's calling it on himself, goes to the back of the lineout, gets lifted. There's a small bit of action or whatever else. That's option one. Or two, which is take the front. So if this is a five-man lineout with a plus one, maybe Josh van der Fleer, uh, two is Tyke Byrne will jump at the front. So your lineout caller will never just go up with only one lineout in mind. This is the only one we're taking. You assess what the defense is, where the defense are stacked. So where do they have options? Where is it realistic that they can counter us? And South Africa were making it very difficult, obviously, because they were throwing two pods into the air. So for a lineout caller, that's actually quite difficult to, to work your way around because then you're thinking, okay, they're throwing two pods up into the air when we go to a six-man lineout. So when we go to a six-man lineout, obviously they're going to be doing that as well. That means they've got 
six players who can or like there's six players involved so four of those are going to be lifting one jumper so we have to try and find space so what line out call will I use okay so we'll say the other call that you have is um, monster booklet uh, monster program from monster versus barbarians last week it's a bit of a mouthful of a, of a line out name but that's just what I have in my desk right now so that's your other call so you're thinking okay so we know that call has um, a few options at the front so we faint them at the front maybe we trigger their counter jump and then we go into the space after they come back down so you're trying to think around what they're doing and remember this is like chess but you're also like boxing at the same time because like you're entering into collisions and everything's going at 100 miles an hour and you're thinking about all the other things you have to do as well because you've got Johnny fucking Sexton coming up to you telling you we need this fucking ball and we need this here so you're thinking well how do I produce that ball like how, what's the uh, so that's the call so how do I get that out uh, how do we get that out to them and that's a lot to think of and it's a lot it's, it's a lot to process so when I see um, J- James Ryan and sometimes Ireland and sometimes Leinster's line out under pressure I sometimes see that he will su- he will simplify that for himself by calling it to himself, right? So when I look at like some of the calls that Ireland had that that James Ryan was involved in, where he, he ended up missing, and you often see James Ryan where he's going up with his two arms straight up into the air and the ball overshoots him. That happens a fair bit, and th- I think the reason why is is that he tends to call a good bit of the lineout onto himself until he has an option, no other option to, but 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 to change it. And when I see that, I see him being kind of going, okay, look, he's trying to simplify that for himself, where he's not necessarily thinking too much about, well, where would we put Peter Manny? So we know he's here. So Peter Manny is often used as the hinge player between two pods, right? Where he's the front lifter on one possible pod and a back lifter on the other. So when Ireland uses a five man, you'll often see Peter Manny there, but he's also capable of being a jumper in the middle where the guy who he would be lifting from the front and the other guy who who he would be lifting from the back able to turn around and lift him in the middle instead now Peter Manny is a very very athletic and explosive jumper so he's able to get into the air really really quickly he's also got like great hands there and it's like he can hit the window because again you've got a window where the ball is going to be where you are right and the more complex the line out the smaller that window is so again like the simpler it is the more window space you have but obviously that window of space can also be taken by the opposition so the ideal ball right in, a, in an ideal world will be where the ball and you are in a very small window of time that the opposition can't get to but you can and that's the best lineup position Peter Manny's very good at getting that because he's really quick into the air so the quicker you are into the air and the higher you can jump the easier it is to hit you even if you're a smaller jumper because Peter Manny actually is listed now as 6'2 on the Munster website whereas like over the last couple of years I think even the last 10 or 15 years he's been listed as 6'3 so he's lost an inch somewhere um, but even though he is that height he is incredibly athletic and in getting into the air his box jump is massive so he can be lifted really really easily into a spot where you'll throw it and Peter Armani will almost go up and get it whereas to the likes of James Ryan or even to Ty Byrne bigger heavier jumpers like because Ty Byrne is 6'6 six, six, or he's listed at 6'5 now he's lost an inch as well but you look at, at James Ryan he's 6'8 but he's heavier he's, he's in around one, 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 117 at the moment kg so I've, I've seen that like he's not as explosive into the air as what he was when he first broke through because obviously he's, he's heavier so when you're that bit heavier you're that bit heavier to lift and that puts a bit of pressure on 
your ability to get up into that window of space and sometimes you miss it and James Ryan I feel I feel I feel I feel he often misses that window because you often because when he misses it's like both hands are up in the air ball is gone and it's like it, it'll look the same way because he's missed the window and sometimes that can be because the line out like the lifter isn't getting the explosion on him that he wants or you've called it to the tail and when you talk, when you call it to the tail the window is smaller especially if there's competition there which South Africa did and I think what South Africa will do also so that's going to be a big big factor in this game because I think South Africa or Scotland rather will fancy themselves as being a team who can hurt Ireland at the line out and will they have realised that it's not about just kicking the ball off the field and attacking Ireland's line out it's about not kicking the ball off the field and when Ireland have a line out really going after that one so you're not voluntarily giving Ireland lineouts at all. You're keeping the ball in field. You're keeping the ball in play. And I think Scotland will back themselves to go, will we want a 38 plus minute ball and play time game here? And I think looking at um, their knowledge of what Ireland have been doing, will they realise that it's not about just hurting Ireland in the lineout and kicking the ball out to Ireland consistently? No it's denying Ireland the line-out platform in the first place. That's how they'll be able to, you know, really start to squeeze Ireland in this game. But that's going to be a, a key factor. And I think that Ireland's line-out calling as a result could be very, very important. And as a result, Ian Henderson, I think, is a big opportunity here to nail himself down as being the, just the calmer guy in that circumstance. And like, the thing is with James Ryan, a great player. And like I said, like on the defensive side of the ball, one of the best in the world. But it's the offensive side of his game, I think, that's kind of fallen back for me a little bit as well. And then when you consider that he is Ireland's line-out caller and that he is, um, again, has had a few issues there, we'll say, in the last number of weeks, especially as the, the, the amount of competition that he's faced in the line-out has increased. That's something I think that is a concern and that is worth keeping an eye on, keeping an eye on because his appearance off the bench here will be very, very important. How Ireland's lineout goes. But again, look, if it's a case that Ireland are winning by, you know, 10, 15 points at that stage, it won't be an issue. But if it's a very, very tight game, which I feel it might be up until maybe even the last 15, 10 minutes, that's going to be a, a key area for, for um, James Ryan to come in and start imposing himself. Because I think having the confidence as well to go, look, I'm going to just not call it on myself. I'm going to play my own game here. And I think maybe even simplifying what he does, because I think sometimes, like, he is a guy, and, I, and and like, you hear about James Ryan, that he is the nicest guy in rugby, that he is just an absolutely fabulous fella around the place, that he's really generous with people when he meets them, that he's a lovely guy. And, like, 100%. And the thing is, like, I would love for this guy to be, like, the guy who everybody is talking about. And I think that he still can be. But needs to sharpen up certain areas of the offensive side of his game and I think that his he wants to be a big senior guy he wants that responsibility I think sometimes he almost takes too much on himself and I think he'd be better off almost stepping back a little bit from it and just getting back to the game that we know because when this guy broke through and that like and that player is still there but I think that he's almost doing a little bit too much and could do with pairing some of it back a bit but you know he's obviously a big guy in camp he's a big guy in like he's a big personality in the group so those guys end up taking on quite a fair bit of responsibility I would just hand a bit of it off just take a bit like take a step back he doesn't need to be that guy right now but um, yeah I, I, I would love to see him uh, come back and have some some good performances in the aftermath of, of what what was a, an objectively poor performance against South Africa from my, in, in my opinion 
but um, that's kind of where we're at and I think looking at how the game will play out the transition battle is going to be hugely important um, how Ireland and Scotland will both kick to each other quite a bit I think early on the management of those initial phases of transition is going to be where the game breaks down ultimately um, Scotland have shown a little bit too like, over eagerness in those spaces and I think that the, the the pace differential between the majority of their front five and their back row is an area that Ireland can exploit on both sides of the ball whereas Ireland like our units are fairly well matched from a, a kind of a speed and a kind of a um, a, a transition defense because like when you're speaking from a transition perspective the ability of everybody to stay in a collective group as they fan out across the field is very very important what you don't want is certain groups who are flying away from the other group and leaving dog legs and massive spaces so Ireland are very good at that I think Scotland sometimes can give up that space certainly in the middle of the field from their big forwards and that's true as well off the set piece uh, off line outs and, cert- and certain scrums depending on the position so Ireland will look to exploit that I think there's that inside ball up the middle that um, we can attack the likes of Fagerson, we can attack Schumann, Gilchrist and Gray are guys we want to get across the middle of the field. We'd be going after that a fair bit because that space will be there all day for us. But that's the kind of the, the, the main the main thing is that we have to nail our own line out and the scrum is going to be massively important as well. Um, Scotland are much better there. They, like, I think the, 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 they've got the highest number of tries scored from scrums in the last year. Um, and they're the, I think it's nine they've scored off that and you look at Pierre Schumann really good scrummager Xander Faggerson good as well um, we've gone with Dan Sheehan back next to Andrew Porter that to me makes our scrum less stable but it means you've got a better line out thrower on the field and a more explosive runner and, and we'll say ball carrier a different type of player from Ronnie Keller who I love as a player I think he's brilliant but different types of players. I, I would have gone personally with Kelleher to start. Um, but again, some of his line out throwing, his shoulder looks a little bit off to me still. And he lacks the, the control to hit the windows as accurately as, it, as what he needs to, given some of the issues that we have elsewhere. Dan Sheehan's line out throwing is outstanding. I remember one of my worst takes was that I felt that Ronnie Keller was a better line out thrower than Dan Sheehan. That's not true. <laughs> Dan Sheehan is outstanding at the line out. He's tall. He's got great, he's got really long arms, but he's got really good control over them as well. So he's able to hit those, like those, those like arced throws to the back. He's got great control over his throwing. That'll be, that'll be important here because like the scrum is one thing. Scotland are very dangerous there. We have to live with that. We have to survive it um, because like they are dangerous. They can win penalties against us, but they're more prone to conceding off the line out. So if Dan Sheen is the better thrower, you kind of have to start with him because you've got more capability of scoring directly and our line-out defence is very, very good. So even if we can see the odd scrum penalty, unless they can land them from the halfway, um, it only becomes a problem when they start, you know, landing three, six, nine or whatever else, if that's the case. But if they go down the line on us, we'll be very, very confident that we can get at Grant Gilchrist, Jamie Ritchie. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be confident we can get at them in their line-out. Um, so like they primarily go to the front and to the middle they like to play it safe but we've got guys there who are very very good front jumpers and middle jumpers from a counter jumping perspective so it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out I I, I just think Ireland will win just because I feel our transition defence is better and our transition attack certainly in post transition phase play is better and more complex we're not as reliant on Johnny Sex or on, on we'll say Finn Russell uh, to produce something we don't need that from Johnny Sexton um, but that's going to be an interesting one to see how it breaks down 
if Ireland can get purchased on the Scotland lineout, and if they we manage to keep them out of ours for the most part and they keep giving us lineouts, we'll win and we'll win well. But if they can keep a high ball in play, they don't necessarily volunteer a whole ton of lineout position to us. It could be very very tight for a long time, and that's where we'll see the impact of the bench, and that's where we'll see. Um, from a, a physical perspective where Scotland are because we're going to try and take them to the fucking cleaners and in the same way that like we live with Scotland or South Africa we'll feel that if we live with South Africa we can beat the fuck out of these guys and that's going to be the big challenge if we do we'll win whatever way the game goes but that's the big challenge for Scotland they've gone with a 6-2 uh, split off the bench in almost in rea- as a reaction to that but we will see uh, it's going to be a big big challenge for Ireland I would say but it's a challenge we're more than capable of doing. I think from a physical perspective, we have the advantage in the pack. Um, I think with Bundyaki as well in midfield, the way he's playing, we have physical, like physically dominant players there as well. We can play simply with our, if our lineup works. We can almost process this game out. But again, I think Scotland will have a lot to say about that. I'll be back with TRK Radio for this later on. I think I'm doing commentary today on a, on Newcastle West. Are playing Craig's in the AIL Junior Cup. I'm going to be doing a live stream of that uh, at two. So I'll be uh, doing my AIL work, but I'll also be covering the game at eight o'clock. I might do a live stream tonight afterwards, depending on how tired I am, because I'm already quite tired. But if not, it'll be tomorrow morning as I'm watching back for a second time. So thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for being a TRK subscriber. I will talk to you again very very soon. <laughs>